Oh, I think you said it so perfectly a few minutes ago when you said when you allow space. I think we allow so little space for ourselves. And so how do we pause long enough to really get curious about what brings us joy? Where do we feel we are having the greatest impact? Where do we feel that flow we sometimes talk about, like that just that natural excitement for what's Mm. going on around us? I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being the why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Dee Dee Halfel, described by Dr. Brenny Brown as one of her leadership heroes and a total badass. With 25 years of military command experience under her belt, Didi is no stranger to high-stress environments and has held several pivotal roles, including as a senior advisor to the United States Secretary of Defense and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as a senior advisor to the Air Force Chief of Staff and the Chief Public Affairs Officer for the Thunderbirds, amongst several other important roles. Didi was a trusted influence in developing solutions to the U.S. military's most pressing issues. Dee Dee is also an executive coach certified through Georgetown University's Executive Leadership Coaching Program and holds a master's degree in leadership from American Military University and a BA in communications from the University of Iowa. Dee Dee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you this afternoon. So, you know, Dee Dee, I know that you have, you know, a really strong history in, you know, in the Air Force and in the military. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, Sure. Well, I think you nailed the, you know, the high points. Um, When I look back on my career, my core experience in the military was as a communications officer. Um, We call it public affairs. So basically it was that realm of public relations, media um, liaison, a little bit of congressional liaison, Um, And then I had the opportunity to kind of bounce in and out of that core and go into some really amazing command opportunities. I had the opportunity to command what we call a force support squadron in Iraq. And then I also commanded um, what we call the second mission support group at Barksdale Air Force Base in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I think about the combination of those two experiences. One being steeped heavily in communication and how do you communicate for effect? How do you communicate to really reach and inspire people? 
and then getting to put that communication into practice in a more operational setting, a more tactical, immediate setting with, you know, our young airmen in command. And so having the ability to see things from a strategic and communication perspective while also leaning into the operational side of leading people um, resulted in just a career of, uh, it's a career I could never have imagined and one I am so grateful to have had. That's fantastic. And yet it's your your leadership in people that really interests me. And I know you've got a passion and deep interest in, you know, emotional intelligence and what we would call the softer skills. Can I ask you about that? Yeah, you know, it's pretty amazing. Um, I, you know, the command opportunities more than any other opportunities in my career really pushed me as a person, really pushed me as, you know, how really pushed me to really look at um, how do we effectively show up with people and how, what does leadership really mean, right? What does it mean to be responsible for a group of people, be responsible for a set of operations, to be responsible for um, completing a mission, a task at hand? And how do you get people to do that? And candidly, when I had my first command opportunity, I didn't show up the way I thought I would have. I didn't show up as the best leader I thought I could have. And through a series of events, I found myself um, in the uh, Georgetown's coaching program, which was actually like I, I commanded in Iraq in 2010 and 2011. And then I found myself in the Georgetown program in 2014. And I remember going through that program and thinking how helpful those skills would have been to me when I was in that first command position, how much it would have meant to me as a leader to feel supported in that way, to feel supported by someone else who could be a good sounding board, someone else who could give me hard feedback about how I was showing up in a way that a lot of times our direct reports don't give us, right? And then someone who could also really hold me accountable to the changes I myself said I wanted to make. And I left that experience in 2014 thinking, wow, like these are the conversations our leaders need to be having when we are dealing with some of the things the military asks us to deal with. Like it is a 24-7 all-encompassing environment. And I left that experience in the Georgetown program just thinking what it would have meant to be supported like that in my earliest leadership experiences and journey and candidly in even my most senior experiences. Um, and it really inspired me to say that every leader that works for me from this, po this point going forward, I will do everything I can in my power to make them feel supported the way I wanted to have been supported in my journey. And we spend a ton of time in the leadership space talking about leadership development, which is so important, right? Learning those mm -hmm. new skills, learning that new language, unlearning some of the things we may have learned that no longer serve us, that no longer work. Mm -hmm. And it became really important to me it really important to me to shift that conversation from leadership development to leadership support. What does it look like to be the kind of leader 
who can support leaders as they are navigating those new skills, as they are practicing some of the new tactics that they are learning and get away from this idea that as a leader, it is my job to develop you and lean more into this idea that as a more senior leader, it is now my responsibility to support you. There is certainly some development necessary and there's a time and place, but so often what younger leaders need is a leader who knows how to support them so that they can practice and play with it a little to really become the leader they need to be and they want to be. So it, that's what kind of that's what kind of led me on this whole journey of understanding who we are and the emotions that come up for us. Mm, fascinating. And Didi, in your opinion, you know, what are the best ways to support someone else who's, you know, a young leader in the world? Yeah, it's a great question because um, I don't think many of us have seen it modeled. Certainly, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of leaders who knew how to support me on my unique journey. What we end up falling into is that space of mentorship where I tell you what has worked for me Mm. versus getting curious about where that individual is struggling, what they themselves think they need to reach that next level. And so when I think about what does leadership support look like, it often looks like asking our younger leaders, what does support look like? And getting out of the mindset that we have the answers Mm -hmm. to what they need and helping them find the courage to ask for what they need rather than us telling them. Yeah, I really like that. So sometimes the question itself is what Yeah. Mm, I really like that. The idea of as opposed to having the knowledge, supporting the person through the wisdom of asking. You know, I think asking questions is is invaluable. And as you said, Didi, everyone's unique, everyone's different, and everyone will have their own answers. And intuitively, I think people often know if they're given the space and support, um, they will come up with the answers they need. I must say, I, you know, I was having a look at your LinkedIn profile um recently and i was really captivated by this um little message you put up it was just just before the the last uh christmas holidays and you said as we slow down for the holidays i find it gives us a natural chance to pause and reflect on what we've done where we want to go and who we are becoming and i find myself questioning am i showing up in the world today the way i want to and i suppose i i need to ask you the question well are you And what does that look like? Yeah, it's so funny, right? Like we teach, sometimes I think we teach what we need to learn. Um, That post for me was really about the culmination of a year that was such a big shift for me. I left the military in 2021. 2022 was really my first year without any military engagement um, half of 21, I was still in the military. So 22 was like the first year where I was really, um, no longer serving in the United States military. It was a year in which I was letting go of the identity that the military gave me, you know, this idea of rank and position. And I was letting go of what all of that meant to who I am as an individual I was navigating a brand new blank slate of who I wanted to be 
And candidly, I'm entering, you know, I just turned 49, so I'm about to enter my 50s. And I think I'm finding myself at this place in life where I'm asking myself, what do I want to do and how do I want to show up? And more than anything, um, where am I feeling inspired to show up in a way that is supportive to people? And what is, where are the opportunities for me to share whatever life experiences and skills and gifts I have, you know, been, uh, been given in this world to really kind of write that chapter. And so it was just a moment of reflection for me about thinking of like, what's next and what do I really want to do? And how do I want to show up so that this next part of my life is just as rewarding and inspiring to me as an individual, even um, as the last part, I absolutely mm. love the military. And now how do I create that next chapter and feel just as much love for it? And I think a lot of people that are listening will relate to that, the idea that there are different chapters in your life and, you know, none of us can change the past. You know, we can grow from it, learn from it. In many ways, the past is research and development, but we can use that as a new foundation to move forward. So, you know, if there was somebody listening, um, you know, how might you advise them if they want to sort of relook at how they're showing up in the world today, Didi? What are the top things you might tell them to begin to do? Oh, I think you said it so perfectly a few minutes ago when you said when you allow space. I think we allow so little space for ourselves. And so how do we pause long enough to really get curious about what brings us joy? Where do we feel we are having the greatest impact? Where do we feel that flow we sometimes talk about, like that just that natural excitement for what's mm -hmm. going on around us? And how do we get curious by allowing ourselves the space, you know, like getting curious in that space, allow ourselves enough space to to kind of go through that experience of getting curious with ourselves. And then, you know, in the military, we use a term called a uh, force multiplier. And it's basically like, what, what equipment do I need? What, uh, what positioning do we need so that we increase um, an organization's combat, combat potential, right? Like taking something small and mm -hmm. by just either equipment or positioning, have the strategic impact be bigger. And I think about that a lot as I enter this next phase of life. What are my force, what are my force multipliers mm -hmm. so that these small tweaks allow me to show up in the world in a bigger way than maybe I just could alone? And so I'm often asking myself, like, what are my force multipliers? And for me, my force multipliers are space, curiosity. Um, and then also just creativity, working with others to tap into a creativity that I found at this age of my life, like I just can't tap into by myself. I'm a, I'm a team sport kind of girl. And so finding people and bringing those people around me to create that synergistic effect of creating more um, creativity. Mm, I'm a big fan of the term non-doing and really non-doing is really creating stillness to, yeah. you know, you don't have any sort of to-do list as such, but you've got space for your subconscious mind to emerge, to be heard. And, you know, for me, creating, 
you know, still time in nature. It's a wonderful way to enrich creativity and mm. deepen your thinking and really to move, I suppose, to a state of being, to be present. Yeah, 100%. I was just working with someone um, who's helping me with some with a project I'm working on. And he said, I want you to listen to this recording. And then I want you to go for a walk. Because for what you just said, right, like get the information in your mind. Mm. And then just give yourself some time and space in nature to allow whatever your brain subconscious is going to help you with to allow it to help. And so I love that. I love that. Oh, me too. I mean, that was, there was that brilliant research from Stanford that showed even a short walk in nature will, will double the creative solutions you'll come up with um, as opposed to a walk in an urban environment. It really is. It really is tremendous. Didi, can I just ask you about vulnerability? Because I know Brené Brown is big on vulnerability and I, I think you are too. Yeah. <laughs> What specifically do you want to know about vulnerability? Because well, I will go on for about three hours. <laughs> well, maybe not three hours, but maybe just, you know, what are your what are your top ideas on, you know, vulnerability in terms of us really being ourselves in the world and vulnerability and, and leadership and I suppose having the courage to be yourself and own your own truth, I suppose. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I think the biggest thing I think of when I think about vulnerability is how wrong we have it. Mm. We have this idea and I can tell you, I had it myself, you know, in the military, I kind of was brought up to be tough, to be decisive in charge and to not, you know, never let them see you sweat, you know, kind of thing. Um, And so I would have told you 15 years ago, like, uh, no, you don't need to be vulnerable at all. And then, when I first heard Brene's work, I first heard Dr. Brown's work in, I think, 2010, 2011. I was in the middle of my command tour in Iraq, by far the hardest command tour I'd ever had. And um, her language gave me an opportunity to, the, the way she talked about vulnerability allowed me to think about it completely differently. And for the first time in my life, I realized that we're all feeling vulnerable all day, every day. It is our ability to navigate that vulnerability well that is the deal breaker between success and failure. And the problem is we have such a misconception about vulnerability that we often hide from it. And it's those behaviors that we use to hide from that vulnerability, to avoid it, to deny it, that really get in our way. And so I think all of my work when I'm out with organizations or I do a lot of keynote work these days, when I'm out doing a keynote, so much of the conversation we're having is about relearning what vulnerability really is and what it isn't. And I love the way Brene talks about vulnerability as risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. And I often ask leaders when I'm out there, is there a single day you are coming to work where you are not accepting some degree of risk? And, you know, I never get a single hand that goes up because in today's fast paced, ever changing world, we are assessing and accepting risk all day, every day. And then I say, is there a day when you ever come to work and you have complete certainty for exactly what will happen? And, you know, again, no hands ever go up. And then I'm often out with organizations that have a real passion for what they do. 
And then I ask them, is there a single day? Is there, you know, most of us come to these jobs that we absolutely, there's, you know, the mission we love, the the purpose of the organization is something we can really get behind. And if that's the case, then our hearts are in it. And when our hearts are in it, we as humans are emotionally exposed. Our hearts are exposed, right? We are Mm -hmm. opening ourselves up to disappointment and hurt. If we are invested in the outcome of the the people we work with, of the, the purpose of our organizations, the missions we've been tasked with. And so we're all dealing with vulnerability. I just kind of put that in air quotes, right? We're all dealing with vulnerability every day. And so we can either learn to navigate it in a healthy way, or it will navigate us in really unaffected and in, ineffective, ineffective and unproductive behaviors. Um, one more thing real quick before I turn it back over. But in 2014, after I'd gone through the coaching program, I became really passionate about calling a spade a spade and talking, mm-hmm. using the language of vulnerability. And so I remember I was in the Pentagon and I was, you know, I was a mid-level officer at that point, a lieutenant colonel. And I was going through the Pentagon and any general officer I could get my, you know, I could run into, I would start talking to them about how we need to be talking about vulnerability. And they would just look at me like I had, you know, unicorn horn coming out of my head. Like this is the United States military. We don't talk about vulnerability, which leads to the fact that as a, as a culture, we have a language where vulnerability is a bad word. And we don't know how to gain the distinction between, we don't know how to really define the distinction between vulnerabilities that are systemic in nature, our, you know, our building infrastructure, our security systems, our communication systems cannot be vulnerable. But mm-hmm. the human relational part of vulnerability, yes. if we are not talking about it, it actually creates vulnerabilities in all of those systems. And so we have to get really clear on the shift in language. Mm. And I think language is really important, how things are described, because that creates an image in somebody's mind about what that that word means. But I'm just reflecting there, Didi, you know, vulnerability, it must be a key part of of purpose. Uh, because if you if you're if, if you're emotionally engaged with your work and you're passionate about your organization, the people you work with, and the difference you're making in the world, I mean that's wonderful. That that's the sweet spot of purpose, and 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 yet that does also require us to be authentic and to be vulnerable as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like it takes a ton of courage, which vulnerability is like you know the core of. Um, it takes a ton of courage to say, this is what I think I am meant to do in the world and to get past all of the scarcity mindset we have on how am I going to pay for my rent or my mortgage? How am I going to put my kids through college um, to lean into work that fills our soul for fear it won't build, you know, it won't fill our bank accounts <laughs> and doing work in which, which I realize in some ways is a luxury, but doing work in which we feel we have a sense of purpose is probably, you know, is yeah, really vulnerable. And and I think that's why it's important to note, like I'm not, you know, I'm often working with folks and I say like, we don't have to jump in 100% right now. Like where can we find ways to do a little bit of where we find purpose and meaning while still being able to do those things that allow us to, you know, maintain a livelihood. 
Yeah, and I don't think it has to be an either or. I think you can you can choose yeah. to find purpose every day by you know serving others, using more of your strengths, and I think bringing more of your yourself in, in into your work and into your life through, as you say, through using you know emotional intelligence and and courage and and vulnerability. Didi, are you a grateful person? Oh, I have so much gratitude. Sometimes I can't contain it. <laughs> <laughs> when you say you're a grateful person, do you keep a written gratitude practice? I mean, how do, how does gratitude show up in your life, I suppose, is really what I'm asking you. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. Um, I, you know, years ago, probably while watching Oprah, um, first started hearing about the gratitude journal. I'm not a gratitude, I, I don't keep a journal, but... I'm very good at consciously maintaining a sense of gratitude for the things I have around me. And so while I don't write it down, I will say that there are several times a day where I stop and just notice, um, notice those things that I should be grateful for. Mm -hmm. Um, it's funny because when I was, when I was getting ready to go into my, um, last command position, I really made a conscious effort to really live by this idea that people are doing the best they can and people are showing up the best they can every single day in with whatever skills they have or with whatever life situation they're in, they're doing the best they can. And unlike my first command position, when I was leading and my direct reports were struggling, I often just focused on the things that weren't going right. And I noticed how unhappy that made me. Whereas in my second command tour, I really wanted to lean into what are they doing right? What are they doing well? Why am I grateful mm -hmm. for them today? And it completely shifted the way I engaged my direct report commanders. You know, these were all squadron commanders. I was a group commander. And every day, especially when I would start to get frustrated, I would say to myself, and for, and what about them am I grateful for? And what it did was it just balanced some of that frustration because that mm. frustration can be overpowering and it can take Absolutely. over. But when I would ask, when I would ask myself, what is it they do that I'm grateful for? I always found the gratitude totally overpowered the frustration and it allowed mm. me to meet them with more empathy. Yeah, as I say, as, as a doctor, it, it's a great skill. Um, like a, It's like an antidote to toxic stress and frustration and, and anxiety. And, yeah. you know, it's not a panacea for everything, nor should it be, but it, it's a great skill to have in your toolkit, um, a kind of a micro moment to enhance your well-being. And of course, one of the great ways to bring, I think, gratitude into our everyday lives is through appreciation, through actively appreciating the people around us, whether it's our people in our key relationships uh, or, or just the incidental, you know, micro moments of positivity we can cultivate each day. Maybe we go and buy a coffee somewhere. You know, as a doctor, I, I meet so many people that are, you know, been broken down by toxic relationships or adversarial workplaces or whatever. You very rarely, in fact, almost never have I met somebody who has said, you know, Mark, I'm feeling overappreciated, you know. Um, it doesn't happen in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. I, uh, you know, I was, I was not married when I was in the military, and then I met my partner the last year I was in the military, and we now live in Texas. 
And he's got a really bad habit of when he's cooking, he his he gets his hands really dirty when he's cooking and he touches everything. So like the next day I'll go grab the refrigerator handle and I'll feel whatever food residue was on his fingers the night before. And I can find myself getting so frustrated, like, please wipe off your hands before you touch the refrigerator. And then I have to stop myself and say, I never cook dinner. He cooks dinner every night for us. And I'm so grateful he cooks dinner because I hate cooking. And my job is to do the dishes. Like I I do all the dishes after dinner. And so I have to remind myself like, to have gratitude for the fact that he cooks and then forget about the fact that there's messy fingers touching mm. in the refrigerator handle. And I think that applies to so many, you know, moments, especially in leadership, these small little frustrations aren't what matters. What mm. matters is the bigger contributions people are making. Yeah. Somebody once said, don't sweat the small stuff. And, you know, for all of us learning to let go of the little incidental things that really aren't of any significance. I think the philosophers used to say, you know, you know, is this thing now you're you're annoyed about it? Are you going to even remember it in a year's time? And if you're not, why are you fussing about it now? You know? <laughs> yeah. The dirty fingers drive me a little crazy. <laughs> so, you know, I'm looking at you there, Didi, and I mean you look the picture of health, uh radiating uh positive health. What are your own personal staying healthy practices? Oh, goodness. This is one that I have adopted since I've left the military, because I think the military is a little behind on really embracing this one. But I would say the biggest thing is sleep, Um, really giving myself the um, the benefit, you know, really giving myself the gift of sleep Mm -hmm. and how much that has changed my ability to navigate stress, how much it has um, enhanced my ability to go into a creative space. Um, I think there is nothing probably more important for us. And I'm sure this is something you've probably talked about regularly on the podcast, just how important sleep is to us. It is a game changer in in almost everything else. In your language, I would say sleep is mission critical. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Um, exercise. Are you an exerciser, Didi? Yeah, I mean, I say I'm like most people. I am. Um, I I uh, am an aspirational exerciser. I exercise when I can, but I have not yet found a way to make it a daily practice. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I uh, probably let work get in the way a little too much when I'm traveling, but it is something that, like most of us, I'm I'm really want to make a better habit of. You know, I. We go on walks daily. We try to take our dogs for a walk daily. Um, I try to do a little bit of cardio. And I think at this point in my life, you know, as I listen to so many people who are a few years ahead of me, I'm really embracing the importance of strength training. And so I'd say like, that's where I'm at on that journey is really trying to figure out what does that look like for me as I get older? Well, that's fantastic. And you know what, for all of these changes, it's not about being perfect. It's about progress. And it all starts with awareness, understanding a that, you know, exercise is important for me, uh, B, that there are different aspects. You mentioned walking, which is movement. You mentioned some cardio, building up a sweat. That's great. And also staying strong. Um, fantastic. So for all of us, then the opportunities to see, well, how what's the plan I can bring about that? I can bring a little bit of that into my, into my life and then build on that. So. You know, as I say, it's all about starting. <laughs> yes. Didi, for our listeners, could you give them 
from your perspective, three take homes for a resilient mindset? Um, I, you know, I think about this question a lot because in my life I have, I would say I have struggled sometimes with, um, uh, I have struggled sometimes with my mental health. There were moments in my career that felt really lonely. There were moments in my career where I felt really lost. And so I think I really kind of think, and I, I boiled this down for me to three key points that I try to remember all the time. And the first is to get really curious, get curious about what my thoughts mean, get curious about why am I having the thoughts I'm having? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And what stories am I making up about the experiences that are happening around me? And so getting out of my knowing it all mindset and really getting curious about what's going on in my inner world. And then I, my boyfriend and I have this um, saying where we say, I'm going to say it ugly. And that applies you know, when we say that, what we mean is I might not show up as eloquently as I'd like to show up. I might not say it perfectly, but it's important that we put it out there so we can talk about it. And so I'm not going to hold back because I'm not going to hold back for fear that I might not say it as eloquently as I would like. And that's kind of our cue to each other. Like, let's have some compassion for one another in this mm -hmm. space. But I think about that a lot when I'm thinking about what I want to do in my life. I, and I often say to myself, like, just do it or say it ugly, which for me means let go of perfection, mm. just do it or say what you said. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be authentic and it has to come from the heart. And so I try to really think about that when I think about resiliency, like what is my heart telling me to do and don't not do it just because I might not do it perfectly. And then that leads to the third thing, which is just take action, even if you're not going to do it perfectly, like, or you're going to say it perfectly, but by just taking some action, it gets you moving, it gets the ball rolling. And what you find is that by taking action, you're actually building confidence, because I can't talk myself into confidence, I can only act myself into confidence, right? By taking those steps, that's how I build confidence. And that's how I see that I am more resilient than maybe my mind was telling me I was. And so it's those three steps, get curious, give myself some compassion around not being perfect by saying it or doing it ugly and taking action, just do something. I think there, there are three really important and three, three wonderful ideas for people to reflect on. And finally, Didi, for you, what's the meaning of life? I loved this question when I saw it. Um, for me, the meaning of life is it came down to one word and that's stretch. How do I stretch who, who I am as a human, how I love, how I give, how I um, engage in the world to stretch outside of my comfort zone? Like I didn't come here to this experience, this life experience to stay comfortable. I came here to grow as much as I can. And we don't grow unless we are constantly stretching ourselves to that next level. So I think that's the meaning of life is really stretch. Well, Didi, it's been wonderful having you on the doctor's chair. Keep leading and inspiring, keep growing and keep being a support to others to be their best selves in the world. Didi, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was so much fun being here with you today. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. 
For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com. Thank you.